The leave no trace philosophy is one of the cornerstones in minimizing our impact when we're in the great outdoors, but I have some issues with some of the principles, especially when it comes to children. So hear me out. Let's take a deep dive into leave no trace and its place in nature immersion programs for children. Welcome to Raising Wildlings, a podcast about parenting, alternative education, and stepping into the wilderness, however that looks, with your family. Each week, we'll be interviewing experts that truly inspire us to answer your parenting and education questions. We'll also be sharing stories from some incredible families that took the leap and are taking the road less travelled. We're your hosts, Vicky and Nikki from Wildlings Forest School. Pop in your headphones, settle in and join us on this next adventure. Before we start, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded, the Kabi Kabi and the Gubby Gubby people. We honour their song lines and storylines, and I'd like to pay respects to the elders past, present and emerging. And I would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which you are listening to this podcast. Welcome to the Raising Wildlings podcast. I'm your host today, Vicky Oliver. And before I start talking about all things Leave No Trace, I just wanted to let you know that we are starting to get ready for the next round of our online course, Wild Business. So we'll be opening up mid-year. And for those of you that don't know, Wild Business is actually for childhood change makers who are ready to take the leap and create a nature play business just like ours that is deeply rooted in community and purpose. By using our proven roadmap to success, we'll save you time, money, and stress by helping you navigate the muddy waters of regulation, ratios, things like insurance and permits. And at the end of the course, you'll have everything you need to hit the ground running with your own flourishing nature play business. So you can actually find out more and join our wait list for our masterclass and our training series at wildlingsforestschool.com forward slash wild dash business. All right, let's get into it. Leave no trace. Look, I want to start this episode by saying that I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater here. I think that the leave no trace principles, they're a brilliant framework and the forest schooling philosophy really naturally embeds most of the principles and practices. But Recently, I've been thinking about the messages that we're sending our children about Leave No Trace when we're immersed in nature. So I'll go through the principles because there's actually seven principles with Leave No Trace, uh, and I'm going to explain why some of them just don't work 100% when it comes to engaging children in nature. And that's the whole point. Um, And also the fact that it is a framework. Leave No Trace is a framework. It's not a rigid set of rules. So um, I think that when it comes to wildlings and being immersed in nature, we all want to come from a place of conservation and sustainability. It's the thing that our team strives to do and to learn more about and to pass on to the children. Our decision-making processes around the materials we use, um, even down to our procedures, our planning, our safety, all of that is guided by the fact that we want to ensure that we do really minimal harm to the environment and reduce the amount of resources as well that we use in our sessions. So leave no trace. What is it? What's the actual philosophy? What are the the guiding principles? Well, there are seven of them and um, they are to plan ahead and prepare, to travel and camp on durable surfaces, dispose of waste properly, leave what you find, minimize campfire impacts, respect wildlife, and be considerate of your hosts and other visitors. Now, when you read those principles, 100% I'm like, yes, it's heck yes. 
absolutely, we should be doing those things when, when we're in nature. But when I started to think about these things a little more deeply or have scenarios where I'm like, oh, we were a leave no trace. It's still one of the number one things we talk about when we um, train other educators about sustainability. Leave no trace is the first one. But it's something we started to just undo a tiny bit. Um, so I'll go through all seven of these and some of some of them are very straightforward and we, we I wouldn't make any changes to the way that the Leave No Trace and organisations that support the use of this at 100%. It's just that we just need to maybe be a little bit more flexible when it comes to working with children. So let's start with plan ahead and prepare. Now, when it comes to wildling, safety is absolutely paramount. We're all about taking risk, but we also want children to stay safe at the same time. One of the ways that we minimize our impact is through very thorough planning. So we do things like knowing our local spaces that we want to use very well first. And when we decide to use a location or a site, we do a full venue risk assessment of that site. So it means we do know it quite thoroughly. Um, We get people in to help us when we don't know uh, information about that site. And then the next part of that is ensuring that our staff have all the technical skills required to run sessions safely. We're monitoring the weather and we have very clear policies for decision-making around that. And we also ensure that particularly our supervising staff have first aid and water safety training. And that's planning and preparing for the site. That way we know how to use that site in a way that keeps our children safe, but it also helps to make sure that the site is impacted as little as possible. That's something that we already do and that's very important when it comes to being outside, um, especially when you're doing activities repeatedly in a location. The second principle is travelling and camping on durable surfaces. Now, we're not camping, but we are using Uh, the same spaces over and over again. So one of the things that we have at Wildlings is a three-year sustainability plan on our sites, which means that we're, again, planning, monitoring and changing our base camp areas. And we stick to well-worn areas, like our forest here at Sunshine on the Sunshine Coast is a weed forest. Um, We stick to those well-worn areas and we do rotate the more sensitive sites within our locations to ensure that our impact is minimised. We do try and keep to those durable surfaces and um, minimise our impact that way. But this is another one where for children to be able to explore the space, they sometimes do need to engage a little bit off the beaten paths. And so how do we manage that so that we can still maintain the amenity of the area and create a lot less disturbance? So I'm not going to talk about this one as much, but yes, I do take issue with Um, that one a tiny bit because it is hard to keep children on the path sometimes it is like if you're going into a park that is highly sensitive that's really really important so I think that it's going to be location specific number three this is a no-brainer dispose of waste we pack in and pack out we ensure all of the rubbish that we take in comes out with us and in fact we actually bring more rubbish out than what we came in with because we'll clean up sites and that's a no-brainer so that one for me yep 100% on board with that Number four, I'm going to come back to this one because I've got a bit more to say about it. Leave what you find. This is the particular principle that I've been thinking about, particularly when I'm running my rock pooling exploration sessions. So I'll explain that a little bit more in a minute. Uh, The fifth one, minimize campfire impacts. If you've been to a wilding session, uh, you'll know that campfires are an integral part 
of our community. It's a very, very important part of our sense of belonging and building that community and teamwork and building bonds. So it also marks the changing of the seasons for us. But like our rubbish, we pack in and out all of our campfire gear if we're not using, say, a public barbecue. Sometimes we do that in some of our sites. So the fire pit, the firewood, all of our safety gear, all of our food, everything comes in and out of sight. And you probably wouldn't even know that we had a fire there. When I was looking at the camp, minimizing campfire impacts um, on the Leave No Trace website, they did. There was sort of like a comment about, you know, campfires are a bit re- irrelevant these days. Like you don't need them. And I take issue with that because I feel like that primal sense of being around a campfire for warmth, for nourishment, for connection is actually something that we would like to see more of because it's a really important way of building community and feeling belonging. So, yes, we need to minimise our campfire impacts. We do that. But I also am just a little bit aware of trying to dissuade people from having campfires and, and, and it should be less about not doing them and more about how do we do it well Let's, you know, obviously wildfires um, and fires that haven't been contained properly, they leave a mess. I 100% agree with that too. We do a lot of camping up up the beach and people have fires there. They have to, they've, they've changed the rules now. They have to be a contained fire in a pit. Well, no, you can't have fires at all, I don't think, anymore. And that's because people have done it ir- irresponsibly. So, yes, do campfires, do it responsibly. There is an, a massive amount of amazing fire pits. Like our fire pit will cool down in literally five minutes um, to the touch. So there are some fantastic gear that you can take in and take out um, of areas if you're allowed to have campfires there. And I would absolutely we are um, planning to talk a lot more about fire as an important uh, land resource management tool from an Indigenous perspective as well. Number six is respect for wildlife. So we wildlings are continually teaching and modelling respectful interactions with wildlife. Um, We treat our wild spaces with a lot of care and consideration for the animals that call the habitat their, their home. But I think that there is also a spectrum of how we respect wildlife so, for example, catching a tadpole is, I would say, a quintessential childhood experience in a creek and you are getting a lot more up close and personal with insects and um, tadpoles and fish and things like that. But we wouldn't be encouraging very close contact with, for example, a snake or a possum. It depends on the animal. So, We have a very, very deep respect for wildlife, but what that looks like is going to vary amongst the animals that we're encountering in our environments because having those up-close and personal experiences with the microfauna, so the bugs, the insects, the tadpoles, um, lizards and things like that can be absolutely pivotal in connecting children to nature. So I... Yes, respect for wildlife is absolutely paramount. How we do that is going to vary depending on the types of animals that we encounter. The last principle is to be considerate of others. And again, I agree with this. Uh, One of the most important components of the ethics of being outdoors is maintaining courtesy towards other visitors. Um, 
everyone deserves to enjoy their outdoor experience. And I guess a lot of people are going into nature to seek solitude and to listen to nature. And and so there, there's this push to reduce excessive noise and uncontrolled pets and, and obviously damage to surroundings. And I would say yes to uncontrolled pets and yes to damaging it, um, our surroundings to a point because I'm going to talk about that in, as well. But the excessive noise part, there's some sticking points with that one as well. I think that sometimes people go into nature as a community and celebration and then there's also a cultural aspect to that as well that shouldn't be discouraged and shouldn't be policed either. And I will I will touch on that a little bit more uh, in a sec as well. I think it's fine to also have that community experience and that might come with a little bit more noise than normal. And so whilst we want to be considerate, we also don't want to be policing people, especially when they are having a joyful and connected moment with other people. So I'm going to start backtracking now to to the principle number four, which is leave what you find. And um, I want to start by saying, look, it's I, look, leave no traces are meant to be a rigid set of rules. But the the glaring problem that I'm seeing is that it comes from a lens that positions humans as separate from from nature rather than being a part of it. And we have a very, very complex relationship with nature. And I don't want, and I'm sure a lot of you too, we don't want children to be dissuaded from interacting with nature because we may cause them to lose important knowledge about their local ecosystems. And I would argue that the more separate we feel from nature, the less invested we're going to be in preserving it. And sometimes the best conservationists are those that have something to lose when plants and animals disappear. So there is a balance to be struck between conserving the natural landscape and protecting wildlife and vegetation and also having that real-life experience in nature. So one of our anchors that guides us at Wildlings is how can we expect children to love nature if they've never had a childhood in it? And that actually includes experiencing all of nature, not just sitting there and watching and observing that's part of it, the sights, but it's also the smells, but it's how it feels. It's having your whole sensory system connected. And then also that connection with your friends and your family, perhaps around the campfire, might be in the cubby that you built with materials that you've scavenged from the wild space. It's making our food and using things that we find in the forest to inspire creativity or to sustain ourselves. And then also remembering that children, particularly in early development, in their early years, are so tactile. Everything goes in the mouth or it gets torn up by their, you know, little fingers. And I find nothing more thrilling and they find nothing more thrilling than squashing and mashing and breaking up things in nature. And we have to allow for that. Nature can handle it. We're not, I'm not saying that we're going to allow 500 children to go into the forest and tear it to, to pieces, but individual children going into outdoor wild spaces can have that experiential learning. That's what they need. So I think that Leave No Trace is a really great foundation on which to base our decision-making choices and help to guide 
what we do when we're in nature, but I don't think it should be at the expense of deepening our relationship with the natural world. And I'm worried that it could create a disconnect between children and the environment, and it could make parents, educators, and the children themselves feel like they shouldn't touch anything or pick anything up or get curious about our surroundings and have that idea that everything we do in nature is disruptive. And let's be, we really don't need another reason to have anxiety about being outside. So I do take a little bit of issue of leave what you find. And the reason that I came to that conclusion is because specifically um, when I'm down on the rock pools with children, we're on a treasure hunt. We're looking for the most amazing animals that, and again, this brings back into the wildlife thing as well. We find things down there. Some of those things are living things and they have to stay put. 100% there is no wiggle room with that rule. But sometimes they'll find a special treasure and a shell that's empty that, you know, no longer has a living animal in it. It could be a sea urchin spine. Um, It could be an intricate piece of coral. And the look on their faces when they have this treasure can actually do more good in the long term by allowing them to keep it than by having a very hard and strict leave no trace rule in place. So there are ways in which we can manage and allow children to experience nature whilst also teaching them to trade carefully. So I'm not saying, you know, do what you like with nature because children need the experience. What I'm saying is there needs to be a little bit of flexibility and wiggle room in in allowing children to fully experience it. And sometimes that means we're not going to leave a trace. And let's be honest, we're not separate from nature. We are going to leave traces of being there. And for us to fully experience being in nature, then yes, sometimes there will be traces that we were there or we might take something home with us to retain the memory that we had of that awe and wonder of being outside. And I think that's important. And I think that's worth challenging the rigidity that some people have with leaving no trace in nature. So how do we manage that? How can we teach them to tread carefully? Well, the thing is we have an ongoing conversation with children. We give them feedback on the impact we make. We have, uh, we sit down and we, we show them hey, guys, we've been playing on the side of the creek here for the last couple of weeks. Can anyone see the difference in the landscape here, the side of the creek bank? What can we do to fix it? What what, what, is, what are our concerns about continuing to play here? We have that conversation and we problem solve that. I, I think that that's an important part of any outdoor program. We also encourage the sustainable harvesting of plants. So we will uh, use invasive species or introduce species first. And then we also do sometimes take flowers, sticks and leaves from native plants because we can do that. We can take one or two flowers for ourselves and leave the rest for the birds and the bees. Um, And also I think that it can be quite hypocritical for us to say don't touch nature and then the next minute the council worker's out there with a mower and um, sweeping up all of the seed pods on the the garden verge there. So again, it's about having that conversation and helping them to make decisions that are minimizing our impact, but it's not 100% no impact or that, no, we're not going to take anything out of nature. We're just going to sit here and potter around and, and, and try and get the most out of it without actually touching anything. I think that's unrealistic. 
And then if it does come to children wanting to take something out of nature, uh, so sticks, rocks, flowers, um, an ocean gift or treasure or a shell, I have completely changed my policy on this. It used to be a leave no trace 100%, but I could see that allowing them to take that treasure home and the memory that that treasure holds would foster that love and protection of nature. So now I will say you can take one thing home with you. So you want to make sure that that one thing, I don't announce that, but if they do want to take something, I'm like, yes, you can keep that shell, but let's not take any more. That If that's your special shell, then that's the one you take home. We leave the rest. And I will talk to them about the fact that, some of the shells that we find are actually homes for things like hermit crabs. Um, even little octopus can hide inside shells. So we, we have that conversation and a lot of children will make their own decision to leave it there. And every now and again, there will be a child who just loves their treasure so much and I'm okay with them taking it home. We also try to include working bees to restore areas that have been impacted by our use and inviting people into our programs to help educate us uh, those people that have expertise in a certain wildlife species or uh, flora, uh, bush tucker gardens, and that helps to educate children so that in the long term, as we grow into you know young adults and adults, that we are able to make better choices along the way. And I, I think that's really important as well. One of the things that I do want to point out, and and I had th- this is why Leave No Trace can be incredibly frustrating, is that we actually find it really challenging to embed some of the practices around rehabilitation um, and working with regeneration groups because there's actually a lot of um, bureaucracy and red tape around community groups or government groups who seem uninterested in working alongside children and their families. So this is something that we would like to see changed. And also in order for us to perhaps undo some of the damage, so it's risk-benefit always, right? So yes, there is a risk we could damage, but there is also a benefit. So how do we mitigate those risks? If we want us to rehabilitate, then there needs to be funding and there needs to be support. So there are two things that we are working on to ensure that we do have a sustainable connection to the outdoors um, and really embedding those true principles. And it's not just something that people are using to, to shame people for being outside in nature. And one thing that I issue that I actually want to briefly touch on again um, and something that I want to explore further with someone who can shed more light on this is the systemic injustice that comes with the policing of outdoor spaces, um, self-righteous behaviour, and inequality. So around the world and here in Australia, accessibility to some of our wild spaces exists. So in some places around the world, to actually go into national parks, to get a national park pass can be quite expensive. So there's a level of classism um, that exists in accessibility. And then there's this whole area of Indigenous knowledge that can tokenistically be, in, you know, acknowledged but overly ignored when it comes to natural resource management. So um, talking a little bit about fire management early, Indigenous fire knowledge, it blows my mind. I think it is uh, it's so deeply intriguing and amazing and so important and that's something that uh, we need to consider as well. Um, and I have heard some stories of Indigenous people being policed during ceremonies and cultural celebrations outdoors. So there is that side of things as well. That's not having, you know, instead of zooming in on impact, we also have to zoom out and have a look at the overarching and holistic 
importance of people being outside um, and I guess like with anything we have to strike a balance between the impact that will occur but the benefit of people being outside and helping us to become the next generation of stewards. So yes, sometimes we may do a little more damage to our wild spaces than we would like. And that is children being in nature, being at one with nature, being part of it, being part of its cycles and interconnectedness. But maybe, just maybe, the small amount of damage that's done to our environment as we love it and embrace its messiness and unpredictability and the challenge it presents us and maybe the solitude or maybe the community. Maybe that will help us to raise a new generation of stewards who then fight against overdevelopment and environmental destruction and who fight for sustainability and the consideration of our impact through all of our human endeavours and make much more of an impact for a brighter and healthier future than if we were to just ask them to leave no trace at all times. So I'd love to hear your thoughts about leave no trace. I'd love to be challenged and think differently. So if you have something to say, if you uh, have a thought differently about leave no trace, jump on our socials. You can find us on Instagram and uh, tell us what you think. You can send us an email at hello at wildlingsforestschool.com. Definitely love talking about these things in a more nuanced way. So if you've got any other perspectives to add, I would absolutely love to hear your thoughts. And as always, we love doing this journey with you. So until next time, stay wild. Mm -hmm.